0: We've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word Sample, like it's all squished together in one word, <laughs> Sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show.
1: When you read an old book, you want to look for something that has thoughts that are not your thoughts, that has uh, assumptions that are not your assumptions, that sees the world very differently than you see the world, because those are the works that are going to teach us. They really teach us through difference more than they teach us through similarity. Don't worry about being systematic don't worry about having a plan Um, what really matters is not having a plan but having a disposition and the disposition is to be taught the disposition is to grow in virtue and wisdom Uh, the disposition to be delighted
0: Listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, homeschooling mama of six, and author of The Read Aloud Family and Teaching from Rest. As parents, we're overwhelmed with a lot to do. It feels like every child needs something different. The good news is you are the best person to help your kids learn and grow, and home is the best place to fall in love with books. This podcast has been downloaded seven million times in over 160 countries. So if you want to nurture warm relationships while also raising kids who love to read, you're in good company. We'll help your kids fall in love with books and we'll help you fall in love with homeschooling. Let's get started. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. This is episode 163, and I'm really excited about this one. Well, I mean, I'm pretty much excited about every episode. <laughs> you know how I am. But I love this show, I love hanging out with you, and I love talking about the things we talk about here. So today we've got a special guest. Who's coming back for another episode? I have been revisited by Baylor University Professor Alan Jacobs. He is the author of several of my favorite adult trade nonfiction books, including The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction, How to Think, and a brand new book hitting shelves this very month, Breaking Bread with the Dead, A Reader's Guide to a More Tranquil Mind. It's all about reading old books, and it will make you think about old books in a way you've probably never thought of them before. Oh yes, we are talking all about it today. Before we do, though, I am going to tackle a listener question. Hi,
2: Sarah. My name is Elizabeth. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota, and I'm actually coming to you as a teacher. I am not a mom yet, but I'm about to go into my second year of teaching sixth grade, sixth grade language arts. And thankfully I found you and also Jim Trelease's book in college and started my um, teaching career with a belief in read aloud um, so I read aloud to the kids every single day this past school year but that brings me to my question for you so during read aloud time I would often have a couple of students who just pull out their own book that they were reading and read to themselves instead of listening to the read aloud and on the one hand great they're reading they were avid readers and they were enjoying themselves so I just let it go this year but I'm wondering for the future If you would suggest that I ask that all the kids be listening to the read aloud because um, there is, you know, that relationship building that happens around the common story that we're all listening to together. And there's that common language and being able to talk about it and refer back to it. And I want all the kids to be a part of that. So I can see both sides the self selection of texts and enjoying that, and then being a part of the classroom community with the read aloud. And I do think that I choose books that are pretty widely loved by almost everybody in the class. So I was just curious what your advice would be on that. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, Elizabeth. Well, first of all, that's awesome. I'm really inspired that you read aloud to your students every day. They are super lucky to have you. I remember very well the books my own sixth grade teacher read to us. In response to your question, you know, I do think I'd require the kids to listen in to whatever you're reading aloud, together for the reasons you mentioned, you know, the shared community, shared vocabulary and story, uh, but also because there are some benefits that kids get when the language comes in through the ear that actually they don't get when they're reading the words with their eyes. Um, Grammatically correct, sophisticated language patterns coming in through the ear actually come in. in order. Uh, Because when we're listening to a book, the reader, whoever's reading it, so you in this case, you're not skipping those small connector words like most of us do when we read words off the page. And so we don't get those grammatically correct, sophisticated language patterns stored into our kids' brains unless they get those words in order. And that comes in best through the ear. Also, oftentimes the kids who have less patience for listening to a read aloud are the kids who really, they read fast. So they probably are skipping a lot of those connector words because good fast readers do skip a lot when they're reading. They they do more skimming than, than slower readers. Um, and that's oftentimes why some kids say they don't like being read to, right? Because they can just read the story for themselves with their eyes faster. They are very oftentimes kids who are avid readers who love reading. But I don't know. I think in a time when we really want to cultivate, you know, a habit of attention and, and a habit of patient, careful reading, listening to a read aloud can be a really useful tool for kids who usually read really quickly on their own. Not that we're discouraging them, just like you said, like not, you're not discouraging them from choosing their own books and reading their own books and having free choice there, but, um, but making space and time instead for this more careful, deep, slower paced kind of reading and letting it be a different kind of gift to them. I would let them do something with their hands, you know, sketching, drawing, doodling, whatever you're comfortable with. That way, if they're antsy when they listen, their body will feel a little calmer. I'm like that, actually. I can sit and read a book with my eyes for long periods of time, but even though I adore being read to and actually listening to an audiobook is my preferred mode of reading, I need to do something with my body while I'm listening to someone read to me. Otherwise, my mind goes crazy. It strays and I think about all kinds of things that, I'm not <laughs> that are not the story. So inviting the kids to doodle might just do the trick and help them still their body and their mind and tune in. So I hope that is helpful, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for calling. I hope you and your students have a wonderful reading year. Hey, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode of the show, head to readaloudrevival.com and scroll down the page till you see the button that says, send a voice message to Sarah McKenzie. Now, speaking of readaloudrevival.com, that's where we have all of our excellent free resources, like our book lists, for example. We have a picture book list for every single month of the year that are excellent for all kinds of ages. We have book lists for that are related to math, different times in history, uh, books that boys especially love, books that girls especially love, first chapter books. We have all different kinds of book lists. Those are all at readaloudrevival.com slash recommendations, and you'll find all the lists right there. You can print them out. You can access them online. They're all free. So make sure you're using those. Those are carefully curated lists. Uh, we keep our lists as short as we can with the best books we can find. <laughs> if you see our December or Christmas list or some of our lists are kind of long, you're going to be like, sure, short as you can. But what I'm trying to say is we're very picky about what makes it on the list. And so I think what we're trying to always keep in mind as we're making these book lists are Books that are going to have a very high likelihood of being a win for you when you read them aloud with your kids. So check out those book lists. Those are all at readaloudrevival.com. And if the idea of a whole list feels a little overwhelming, I understand that too. That's why we made our quiz, which you can find at readaloudrevival.com slash quiz, or just by texting the word quiz to the number 33777. What you do with that is you answer three super quick questions. It'll take you less than two minutes. And then I give you a couple of book recommendations, just two. And that's instead of giving you a whole giant list, I tell you, hey, okay, based on your kid's ages and the amount of time you have and what you're kind of looking for, these two book read-alouds would be really excellent. That's free as well. Like I said, readaloudrevival.com slash quiz or just text the word quiz to 33777 and in two minutes, you'll know what you should read aloud next. Okay, are you ready to enliven your mind and think about old books in a way you might never have before? I hope so, because that is what Alan Jacobs and I are about to talk about. Here we go. welcome back to the read aloud revival
1: it is great to be back sarah
0: well, okay, so this new book, I love it so much. Uh, I told you in an email that I brought it with me to the lake and I was sitting there. My husband's like, this is not what people mean when they say beach reading. You know, I've got like an advanced copy of your book printed out from my printer and I am furiously ma- writing notes in the margins and underlining things. And he's trying to read it over my shoulder and just telling me that I'm taking nerding out to a whole new level. But I've loved it so much.
1: readers are just a different breed aren't we you know we (laughs) We just (laughs) we just live differently than other people do
0: (laughs) oh it's true well in the preface you say this is a book that discusses quote the value of paying attention to old books that come from strange times and are written in peculiar language and frankly don't make a whole lot of sense (laughs) <laughs> and this is a lot of our experiences, I think. I think a lot of listeners are thinking, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like to me sometimes, you know, reading old books, and probably none of us are immune to that experience. So talk to me about why you felt compelled to write this particular book about reading old books.
1: Yeah, I think I think that the um, it really started with a sense that, um, our our society right now is not doing a really good job of uh, we're we're not we're not doing well at talking to one another uh, and listening to one another. Um, we're building more and more barriers. Uh, we're uh, increasingly suspicious and hostile to one another, and we we're we're kind of on hair triggers mm-hmm. all the time. You know, something on social media is gonna set us off, and and this is just something that increasingly worried me. Um, and troubled me. Um, and then I was I was reading for some some scholarly work that I was doing. I was going back to reread Thomas Pynchon's novel Gravity's Rainbow, which is not something I necessarily recommend to everybody because it's one of the most difficult books ever written. Okay. Uh, But there's a there's a great passage in it where there is a a a German engineer. The book is set during World War II. He's a German aeronautical engineer named Kurt Mondaugen. And he is talking to someone and he announces what he calls Mondaugen's law. That's his – he's coined this law and uh, come up with it on his own and named it after himself. And the law is uh, personal density is proportionate to temporal bandwidth, which is a really (laughs) fancy phrase. Uh, But what it means is that – If you have, as he puts it, a bigger now, if you can sort of extend your thinking and your experience so that you're not just embracing what's happening today, but that you can embrace what's happened over a much longer period of time, then he says that gives you more personal density, And that's a really interesting phrase, because what he means by that is that it makes you more stable. It makes you more more grounded, Mm -hmm. almost literally. Right. And and we probably all know that experience of seeing something on social media and then just having our emotions positive or negative, but usually negative, (laughs) having our emotions just kind of run away with us you know and 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 we we're off flying into anger or pain or frustration or whatever it happens to be and we're flying because we don't have any personal density we don't have anything that'll you know kind of keep us grounded and when i read that i thought well, hey, you know, I've kind of been doing this my whole career, helping people to read old books mm. and helping people engage with and respond to people who lived long ago and far away. And, and all that time, I've kind of been helping people to develop their personal density, you know, and uh, giving them a little more temporal bandwidth, making them a little more grounded. Maybe that's something that we could all use. Maybe all of us now. Need something that will ground us a little more and make us a little less vulnerable to whatever it is that happens to be going across our social media feeds. And, and I started thinking about that and realizing that there were a lot of different ways in which reading old books could be valuable to us uh, in our attempts to try to manage these complicated and, and um, agitating lives that we have today.
0: Yeah, well, even your subtitle of your book, which is A Reader's Guide to a More Tranquil Mind. I mean, there's not a single person listening to this podcast who doesn't long for a more tranquil mind. Um, And you name the opposite of that tranquility in your book as twitchiness. You write, that constant low-level anxiety at being communicatively unstimulated, which seems so normal now that we may be slightly disconcerted when it's absent. And I'm thinking about the way that you're talking about sort of being blown by the storm of social media. And we all feel this way. In fact, in the margins of my book, I drew a little sketch note of a, a woman <laughs> holding on to, trying to hold on to this flagpole while she's being blown mm. by the wind, because that is mm-hmm. exactly what you feel like when you're on social media, you feel like you're tossed. Yeah by the wind and this temporal bandwidth or this personal density that we need is a way i think you called it a port in the in a storm
1: yeah and the 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 phrase about a tranquil mind about having a more tranquil mind actually comes from the ancient roman poet horace and horace wrote that while he was living Uh, more or less in exile in the countryside. And Horace was someone, he was a Roman, and he loved Rome, and he loved the kind of the hustle and bustle of it, Uh, and he loved the energy of the city. Uh, But he found himself at some point in um, political disfavor, and uh, he had a patron who, who bought a farm for him, out in the countryside. And he moved out there, he really didn't have much of a choice at first, he just needed to escape. Hmm. And then, uh, and then once he got there, he thought, wait a minute, I'm actually happier than I was. (laughs) And, and, and he starts thinking about you know I, I, the fact that he now has he doesn't have as much stimulation but he has more tranquility hmm. and and he says that one of the ways that he gets tranquility is by sort of sitting in his farmhouse and he says and consulting the writings of the wise you know he's got his he's got his books and and, and it's not just being in the countryside. It's also being able to read these people who are not from his own time and his own place. And they kind of settle him down and they give him a little more perspective on things. And he's still interested in Rome. He's very interested in what's happening. He writes to his friends who are still in Rome and he says, hey, tell me what's going on. Hmm. But he not as vulnerable to the sudden ups and downs the kind of crazy mood swings uh, that he went through when he was in in the city and constantly either climbing the political ladder or falling off the political ladder yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and I thought boy that's Horace he's kind of our model this is what we need you know we need to be able not Maybe not all the time. It's not like we don't care what's going on in the world. It's mm-hmm. not like we don't want to know anything about it. But, but we're unbalanced. You know, all of our information, all of our stimulation is coming from the immediate now, the yep. present. Yep. And so what we need to do is to balance that out and have a bigger now, as Kurt Mundaugen would say, uh, extending it in, in time especially, but I think to some extent also in space and and in that way just get ourselves a little more adjusted and a little less vulnerable to those those emotional mood swings that are so hard on us and also if we're going to be honest about it hard on the people who live with us <laughs> Anybody who's been to a museum knows that it's it's possible to just stand too close to the painting you're trying to look at. Mm. You know, that you're 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 so close to it you can see certain things, but you can't see the overall composition. You can't see how the different elements of the painting relate to one another. Yeah. And so what what do you do? You step back. Yeah. You take a step back, you get away from it a little bit. You get and a you bigger go,
2: picture. Oh. Yeah
1: get the bigger picture and then you see how things relate to one another and that's that I think is one of the things that can happen when you step away from the continual stimulus of the present.
0: There's a quote um from your book on page 49 where you say by reading and considering the past we cut through the thick strong vines that bind our attention to the things of the moment our attention thereby becomes more free. And I just thought when I read that, I thought, yeah, I want that. And I want that for my kids, yep. too. I want that experience yeah. in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so important for young people to learn that they can have that. Right. Because sometimes I think that they don't have it because they don't know that they can.
0: Yeah. Especially um, now. Yeah. Kids that have been raised entirely well, in the social media age didn't know an existence well, where it that, that wasn't a mm-hmm. thing, you know.
1: <laughs> yep, and you know Matt Matt Crawford is a really interesting writer. Um, he writes about technologies of various kinds. He's got a new book about driving cars, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he has he has an essay, uh, which actually then went into one of his books about what he calls the attentional commons, and that's kind of a fancy phrase. But what he means by that is that how you know how when you go like when you're in an airport and there's a tv on and the sound is turned up and it's asking for your attention you're in the kind of a common space you know that you're sharing with other people but there's there are these things here saying pay attention to me pay attention to me pay attention to me and then like even when you go to fill up your car with gas right you 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 you, you step out and get ready to put the 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 nozzle in to your gas tank, and then a video starts playing. You know, it's it's like, listen to me, listen to me, watch me, listen to me, and, and the commons Space of the world, not your private space at home, but the common space, the public space, gets increasingly full of these demands for your attention. And I think what that does is it ultimately makes you relatively passive in how you give your attention because it's like, well, I just have to give my attention to whatever is demanding it right now. And what's demanding it might be the video at the gas station or it might be the TV at the airport or it's just the notifications going off on my phone or on my computer. And and you you can kind of get out of the habit of establishing your own patterns of attention. And and one of the great things about reading these, well, this is true of reading any book, but it's, I think, especially true of reading the older books, is that it just gets you so far out of those passive habits of attention and allows you to kind of cultivate your own Sense of what you need to be attending to, not what someone else is telling you you need to attend to.
0: This corresponds so well with the title of your book, Breaking Bread with the Dead, which I think I understand to be invoked from a quote by W.H. Auden, right? That art is our chief means of breaking bread with the dead. And then you go on to say that when we read old books, we're sitting at a table with our ancestors and learning to know them in their difference from, as well as their likeness to us. And I just love this so much because I, I love this image of when I'm diving into an old book, either with my kids or on my own, I'm sitting at a table sharing a meal, right, <laughs> with those who've gone yep. before. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the opposite experience of what I had in, it's the opposite of the fire hose. And, uh, and a lot of yep. times we approach classic literature or old literature with our kids like a fire hose, kind of like, I'm going to teach you this book and we're like dumping information into their brain, but what yeah. if we engaged in a meal? Right. Like this is an image mm-hmm. I can totally get. My head wrapped around. I love this so much.
1: Yeah, I lo- that uh, I knew right from the beginning that that's what I wanted to call the book. So I, w- I wasn't sure whether my publisher was going to go for it, and I was really really happy when they when they <laughs> liked the, uh, they liked the title. Yeah, and and I, I love this idea of of you know breaking bread, and th- the idea is that you are you're you're in a, a familiar and comfortable and intimate. Uh, relationship with with these these people from the past and what I think is especially interesting about it is that you are you're having table fellowship with them I think that's an interesting uh, I use that phrase because that's a phrase that you you actually it's it's important in the bible and mm-hmm. biblical narratives mm-hmm. you know who can you have table fellowship and who you who can't you have table fellowship with? And I think that that's something that's we feel today. You know, I, I've you read a lot of stories about people who are like, I'm not going, I'm not going to sit in the same restaurant with that person. And when you do that, you're saying, I don't want to have anything even remotely like table fellowship with that person. Mm. And we can feel feel such intense re- revulsion towards people who are you know, our contemporaries and live in our world because they vote in the same elections that we vote in, (laughs) you know, but, but, but when you're reading the works from the past, you have so much more control over it. And you can, you can say, uh, you know, I'm going to sit down and have table fellowship with you. And if that becomes really uncomfortable with for me, I'll close this book. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll close Mm -hmm. this book and I'll walk away from it for a little while. And that's the great thing about the books. Right. I mean, if you're dealing if you're trying to have a debate with someone whose political or social or ethical views are dramatically different than yours, that can be a really uncomfortable situation and it can be very unpleasant and it can escalate into into bad things. But the great thing about reading somebody who thinks very, very differently than you do, especially when they're from the past, it's it feels a little safer and you have some control over the situation. So you can, you know, you can step in and you can come to the table with them, you know, and then when it gets uncomfortable, you can get up and leave the table (laughs) and then you can come back later on and they're still there.
0: A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling. But I know something about you. You don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye (laughs) and you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing, too, because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RER Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text R-A-R sample, one word, to the number 33777, and we'll send it your way. Now, back to the show.
1: So it can kind of be a sort of a training ground for, um, for, for, for encountering your peculiar neighbor, right? That is, if you read the people from the past, and then you realize, wow, they don't think like me, they don't see things the way that I do, they have a very different attitude towards, you know, whatever it happens to be race or religion or anything. But, they are human beings. They're recognizably human beings <laughs> and there are things that, that they say that are meaningful to me and, and maybe even moving to me. That's a really good experience to have yeah. because it gives you some some, uh, some training. It's like you know it's like having your training wheels on right before you're ready to ride the bike. and and riding the bike is a little more challenging, a little more dangerous that is when you actually deal with your neighbor or with someone in your town or with someone you see on TV. And and, and if you've read the past carefully and patiently and you've developed a little bit of tranquility, then you have a chance of kind of carrying over that tranquility to your encounters with people who disagree with you on political or social issues. And that, I think, people really notice. (laughs) If you have that tranquility and you are not in a state of agitation or even rage, people notice that because it is sufficiently rare now that it really – really makes a difference. And I think that that's something that we could all use. I want to be that way because I'm a Christian and I think I'm commanded to be that way. Like, I don't think I really have a choice. Right. I have to try to be a peacemaker. I have to try to pour the oil on the troubled waters because this is something that I have been told over and over again, to do. But even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't have those religious beliefs, it's still something that can be really, really valuable in and, and will set you apart from other people.
0: We'll get back to my conversation with Alan Jacobs in just a moment. I wanted to take a moment to invite you to join us in RAR Premium, where we help your kids fall in love with books and we help you fall in love with homeschooling. In RAR Premium, we host monthly family book clubs that are created specifically for families to use together, regardless of whether you've got tiny kids, teenagers, or everything in between. Members receive a downloadable family book club guide, a looking closely video from me where I invite your kids to look for specific things as they read, and exclusive live video interviews with the author or illustrator of that month's. Book pick. There's truly nothing else like it. We also host monthly WOW! Writers on Writing Workshops. This is a wildly popular workshop series that invites your kids to be taught by some of today's Best Children's Book Authors. Every workshop comes with a wow guide so that you can use the workshops either as a once a month quick dip into writing or more regularly as a main part of your writing curriculum. We really deep dive into a single skill being taught each month. And again, we invite published authors to come teach those and have gotten such rave reviews from our members about them being so impactful on their kids and also the kids love them. Also monthly, we do homeschool professional development. We call it Circle with Sarah, and it's a monthly class, live class, where I help you take one small important step towards falling more in love with your homeschool. These live monthly classes have been called quote alone worth the price of premium. Also a quote, the best thing I've ever done for my homeschool, and another quote, my favorite day all month. And of course, as soon as you join RAR Premium, you have access to all of our previous Family Book Clubs, WOW Workshops, and Circle with Sarah sessions in our library. Everything in Premium is recorded and closed captions are added to all of our replays so that your family can participate at a time that's best for your schedule. RAR Premium does what we think all the best curriculum does. It helps you connect with your kids, and it makes your job easier, not harder. If you're ready to join us or to learn more, go to rarpremium.com. You mentioned L.P. Hartley's famous quote, the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there. And then you mentioned that while they, you know, what they do isn't always right, awareness of it is always, you say, illuminating and often liberating. I I would love to talk about this in light of reading books that contain you know, characters or ideas or themes that offend us. Um, you know, we usually were talking about kids' books here, so I'm going to bring up The Little House on the Prairie books because those have come under fire in recent years because, yep. of course, they tell the story of the Ingalls family settling in the West from their white settler family's point of view. And so as we're reading these books, we come in direct contact with some racism that the racism isn't presented in a negative light, right? Right. So one of the responses I see from the world at this time about the Little House books is, you know, just don't read them. Read something else. You'd read something more enlightened, right. uh, which is very much like the what you talk about in your book. You mention novelist and teacher Brian Morton's essay about mm-hmm. his encounter with a student who was trying to read Edith, an Edith Wharton novel and threw it in the trash after 50 pages because of Wharton's overt anti-Semitism. And the mm. student said something like, I don't want anyone like that in my house. Same thing like we were just talking about, right? I don't want table yep. fellowship with that person. Mm-hmm. Then Wharton goes on to say in his essay, and let me grab the quote here. When we pick up an old novel, we're not bringing the novelist into our world and deciding whether he or she is enlightened enough to belong here. We're journeying into the novelist's world and taking a look around. And then you mention um, on the very next page that the discomfort we feel in those moments is very much to the point.
1: First of all, I just love that by Brian Morton. I thought that was so helpful, uh, this sense that, uh, you know, we're not the hosts, Uh, we're the guests (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, we, we need to do what, Guests usually do, which is as long as we're in somebody else's world, we need to have respect for it and respect for them. That doesn't mean that we're going to agree with everything that they do. There's there's something that people always uh, teachers, especially will say this, you know, that when you're reading, you know, works from the past, you need to set aside your own beliefs. You need to set aside your own convictions and I just think that's wrong. I don't think you should ever set aside your own convictions. I think you should be aware of what those convictions are. But my, what I would say is let's not set aside any of our convictions. That is, let's keep them all in play. So then if we're reading The Little House on the Prairie books, then we can say, you know, is there racism here? Yes. Is there love here? Is there generosity? Is Mm -hmm. there kindness? Right. We value all those things, don't we? Mm -hmm. And if we see those things, are we going to pretend that they're not there, um, you know, because we see this thing that we don't like? No, I think what we got to have to do is keep all of our values, all of our commitments in play, not just some of them. If you're saying if, if you're reading books and all you're doing is looking for, you know, I, I'm going to wait until I find something that I consider offensive. And then that's done. Then I'm done. Right. <laughs> then that becomes that's the principle. And I, I talk about this. I draw on some folks who've written about this. That's the principle of negative selection. Yes. Um, and uh, you use the negative selection to 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 rule things out. Well, if that's your only principle, if your only principle is negative selection, you're going to have about six books to read.
0: Yeah. Yes. Right? You know. <laughs> yes. That, that, you
1: know but, but because you know you just wait. Oh, I found another problem. That's it. Out, out it goes. And that that just doesn't seem to me like a smart way to go through life. But I I think that the positive selection is a much better way to go. Like I can read the Little House books. And yes, you know, the racism is there. And I don't want to pretend that it's not racism. I don't want to pretend, oh, well, they were different then, they didn't know any better. Well, if if they didn't know any better, they should have known better, right? And that's a a real mistake. It's a real shortcoming. However, um, That's not the only thing that's in the books, and I can learn a lot from those books. First of all, there's just all the historical things you learn. You learn a lot about the challenges, and you learn a lot about the the virtues and the resilience that people had to have in order to survive there. And so you bring that into play as well. You don't set the – you don't ignore the racism. You don't pretend that it doesn't exist. You don't say, well, they didn't know any better. But you put that in relation to all the other things that you know. Uh, and and then you have a much more complex picture, right? And, and why should you do this? Because it's what you would want people to do for you.
0: Yes, it's this generosity. And I think you talk about this in the book mm-hmm. about reading with generosity. Um, mm-hmm. I think you called it looking for an a utopian moment or something like that does that sound right
1: yeah that's what that's what one uh, literary theorist calls it the u- utopian moment the authentic kernel finding the authentic kernel at the heart of it you know and that that and when you find that that's the utopian moment there's also uh, a scholar and an acquaintance of mine named Kathleen Fitzpatrick who teaches at Michigan State University who talks about um, about generous thinking you know and and all, all we're really talking about here is doing what we hope hope people will do for us because I, I know that some of the most valuable people in my life, some of the people who mean the most to me and are most helpful to me in my maturation and growth are people who will tell me when I'm talking nonsense or will tell me when I'm acting badly, right? I need that correction. I don't want somebody who is going to do nothing but affirm me uh, <laughs> because I, w- I would get a false picture of myself. But I also don't want someone to say, you know what? You are canceled. You are out. You know, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm done with you. I want to be treated with respect. I want people to affirm what is worth affirming, but I also want the people that I know and trust and people who know me because they've paid attention to me to be able to say, you know, here is where you're going wrong and here is where you need to fix something. Whatever it is that they're telling me, they're pointing that to out to me and that is an act of love. And I want to, because I want that done to me, I want to do that for the people I love and for my friends and I also want to do it for the books that I read. I want to be able to, to, to have that kind of complex, holistic uh, understanding of the books in which I'm clear-eyed about where they go astray, but I don't let that blind me to all the things that those books have to teach me.
0: Your book, you talk about um, that, that generosity of spirit when you're reading. is You're not necessarily assuming the best of the writer. Like you said, you're not pretending like the racism isn't in Laura's, Ingle Wilder's books, right? But you're taking them seriously enough to wrestle with them and their ideas, and then you liken that uh, to... The story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. How does that image of Jacob wrestling with the angel like help us as readers?
1: I'm glad you asked about that. That's one of my favorite images, though I'm not sure that it works for anybody else, right? But the
0: <laughs> it works the, for me. <laughs> yeah, the wonderful thing
1: about Jacob wrestling with this man, this angel, whoever this is, um, uh, uh, by by the by the the river, um, is that this is this he, he's he's testing himself he's 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 wrestling he's struggling but he doesn't say i'm not going to let you go until i destroy you he doesn't say i'm not going to let you go until i beat you he says i will not let you go until you bless me and i think that is such a beautiful image for what we do when we wrestle with difficult and challenging books right is that we say this is hard this is uncomfortable this is this is painful at times but you know i'm going to stick with this i'm going to continue to give it my attention i'm i'm going to continue to to reflect on and then work with it and i will not let it go until it blesses me. And sometimes that blessing can be, you know, I mean, I this has happened to me before where I've read a book and I've been sort of attracted to the ideas of the book, but then there were things that troubled me and I mm-hmm. thought about it more and I worked through it and and went back and reread and eventually I came to see, you know what? I don't want to go that path. I don't want to be like this character or mm-hmm. I don't want to be like this author. I, 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 want to, uh, I want to take a different path. And when I've gotten to that point, then my wrestling with that book has blessed me. Even though at the end, I said, yeah, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to follow that path. Nevertheless, I was blessed by the wrestling so I teach in a I teach in a program part half about half my time here at Baylor, I teach in our great texts program. And so we're reading great works from the ancient world up through the 20th century, and it's uh, kind of modeled on the old University of Chicago great books curriculum. And then hmm. a lot of my a lot of my students are are, are people who come from like classical Christian schools and uh-huh. they have backgrounds with that kind of of, of reading, and that's often really good. But there's also maybe a little bit too much reverence sometimes, you know, that like, well, this is a great book. Who am I to disagree (laughs) with a great book? Well, the thing about it is is that these great books disagree with each other, right? (laughs) So, so, you know, they have very different views. I mean, it goes all the way back to the beginning with like, you know, Socrates says that, Homer's poems should not be allowed in his ideal republic banish all the poets get rid of them so so i mean there there's this immense hostility of this founder of philosophy to the first great poet in the western tradition so you you're, you're going to have to agree you're going to have to disagree with somebody here <laughs> you've got you got to either disagree with Socrates or you've got to disagree with Homer. And, and you know what? I think every writer who is worth his or her salt wants you to wrestle in that way. The, the, the writers don't want you just to say, yes, yes, you are wise, you are wise, everything you say, I believe. You don't want people to say, uh, yes, you are 100% right. It's actually a better response when people say, you've really given me something to think about here and I've mm. got to figure out how... You know how how far do I go with you here, or what would that look like in my life and in my reading? You know that sort of that's a much more constructive and open ended kind of engagement. So I'm I'm always telling my students D- don't don't be reverent. You know if you read something here and you this it just strikes you as being off or wrong in some way, say so, and then we'll talk about it. Right, we'll figure out we'll try to understand it better, and then we'll have a, a better grounds on which to say. We, we, if we do disagree, we have better grounds on which to say that we disagree.
0: Oh, in your invitation for us all to read old books, you say, to read old books is to get an education in possibility for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Access is easy. No systematic plan is required. The risks are low, but the rewards are potentially immense. That is quite an invitation. I, 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 feel very compelled to take you up on that invitation. I hope a lot of our listeners do too. I, I do bet that a lot of our listeners are saying, okay, I'm in, but where do I start? You know, there's so many old books to choose from. I don't know how to begin. Mm. So how did you respond to that question?
1: It doesn't matter where you begin, right? I mean, any door, it's a, it's the the, the the world of old books is a house with many, many, many doors, right? And you, you can sort of go in anywhere. In my in, in a earlier book, um on the pleasures of reading um I I really encouraged people not to be um not 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 to feel duty bound and guilt-stricken right that if you're reading something if you're reading a for instance let's say you love you love Tolkien that's not a super old book uh, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not a book of this moment right and you're reading Tolkien and and you think it's wonderful you think it's great then one of the things you can do from there is to ask yourself, well, what did Tolkien read?
0: Oh, yeah. I think you call this reading upstream or something reading like that, upstream, right?
1: Reading upstream, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's always, from any book that you pick up, any old book you pick up, there's always a door to another one. It might be an earlier one, or it might be a later one, right? You just, if if you read, for instance, if you're you're reading, like right now, we're reading, uh, in in one of my classes, we're reading Milton's Paradise Lost. When you're reading Paradise Lost, you see over and over again, his references to Homer and Virgil. So go back and read Homer and Virgil, right? And then, uh, and then maybe, maybe you can also know that, that the romantic poets loved Milton and they adored him, even though they were not like him, they were not Christians. Why did they like him so much and how does that show up in their writing? Let's look at some of their poems and see, you know, how they are like or unlike Milton's. So you can go, you can head back, you, you can go upstream or you can go downstream. worry about being systematic. Don't worry about having a plan. Um, What really matters is not having a plan, but having a disposition. And the disposition is to be taught. The disposition is to grow in virtue and wisdom. Uh, The disposition to be delighted. Um, When you read an old book, you want to look for something that has thoughts that are not your thoughts that has uh, assumptions that are not your assumptions, that sees the world very differently than you see the world, because those are the works that are going to teach us. They really teach us through difference more than they teach us through similarity. Um, and, And I don't think you can go wrong if you take your model as Jacob and say to the books that you read, I will not let you go until you bless me.
0: Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. I love this part of the podcast because kids share the books that they've been loving lately.
3: Hello, my name is Adele and I'm eight years old. I live in Costa Mesa, California, and my favorite books are the Happy Hollister series because I love mysteries. Hello, my name is Cora. I live in Costa Mesa, California, and I am six. My favorite book books are um the ABC mystery. Hello, my name is Josie, and I live in Costa Mesa, California, and I'm four and. My favorite book is Would Win Series. Hi, my name is Amelia Coza, and I'm eight years old and I'm from Oregon, Eastern Oregon. My favorite book is Ramona the Pest because in the very beginning when she starts kindergarten, her teacher tells her to sit here for the present. And even though she said presents, present, Ramona thinks that her teacher meant the present wrapped in golden wrapping paper. Instead, she meant right now. My name is Sophia. I live in Pittsburgh. My favorite book is Narnia and Princess Stories. Okay, what's your name? I'm two. What's your name? Hi. At Pittsburgh. What's your name? Hey My name. What's your favorite book? Book is Little Excavator. Hi, my name is Noelle. I'm seven years old, and I live in Germany. My favorite book is The Lost and Found Pony by Tracy Dockray. I like about it is a little girl got it for her birthday, and one day the pony got lost. And the the pony had lots of adventures, but sometimes she she missed the little girl. But then when the girl was older, she found the pony again. Hi, my name is Julia, and I'm four years old, and I live in Kansas. And my favorite book is The Wonky Donkey. And why I like it is because it has so many silly things in it. And what's your favorite book? City Moon.
2: City Moon by Rachel Cole. And where do you live?
3: Kansas. All right. I'm Cadence, and I live in St. Charlie, Washington, and I'm eight years old. My favorite book is the Ramona series because. Um, it's really interesting and I like to hear what she does, and some parts are really funny too. Hello, I'm Charlotte and I'm six and I'm from England, and I like the Fantastic Flying Journey because it teaches you about animals. <laughs> my name's Matilda and I like pulling involved with all my ages for why i like pulling it's because she never get eaten and i live in england
0: well that's a wrap on another episode of the read aloud revival but you know i'll be back are you still here okay well i am too and i wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from rar premium yet rar premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful happy mom you're called to be, so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR premium by going to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or by texting the word RAR sample like it's one word all squished together (laughs) to the number 33777.